Another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream and you can holler. Hi, folks. This is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, of the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, dictated once again, finally, almost as always, during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas, today is Thursday. July as the 9th, 2009. This is episode, I think, I think 234. I'm back in the car and it just feels right, folks. I'll tell you what, broadcasting from the bug out location was cool, but it kind of threw my timing off. And I guess it was because I didn't have enough uh, time to do research and all. And if, if, this is, if you haven't heard the show that went out yesterday... Um, go listen to it because it'll give you the whole lowdown, and I don't want to take up time today to, to re re uh, explain everything that went on while we were up there. But we had a uh, vehicle failure, we had a stranded uh, moment where we were stranded on the side of the road, and uh, on top of that, we shot a video of when we were stranded. We ended up at the bug out location without a vehicle for a couple days, uh, which was fun. And uh, from there, we eventually got back. We came back a couple days late. That delayed the return of the show, but I did get one out for you out of those two days uh, thanks to Starbucks and their hot spots, which was pretty cool. Alright, so getting on with today's show, um, I want to remind you guys up front once again, I, I need to do this probably more often, that this show is one man's opinion. And with some of the stuff I'm going to talk about today, you really need to remember that. Uh, these are my opinions based on the research that I do, and I do a lot of research, and, and I do a lot of digging, and I read probably, I bet you I read several thousand words a day at least, maybe 10,000 words a day. One day I'm going to track that, but I, I read no less than three to four dozen news stories a day. And I uh, listen to a lot of the talk radio stuff when I get a chance, listen to a lot of the alternative podcasts, read a lot of blogs. So my information is based on as much data as I can find. But doesn't mean I won't ever be wrong. And you are free to disagree with me, uh, especially when it comes to personal matters. Like if we were talking, we're not going to do this today, but if we were talking about how to choose a bug out location uh, or how to even just pick a house that you're going to live in, that's very personal. So, you know, you really need to do what's right for you. I just wanted to point that out. And when you want to disagree with me, you can send me an email to jack at the survivalpodcast.com. Probably a better way is disagree with me on the blog where I publish the podcast at the survivalpodcast.com. Just click on the episode and you'll see comments down below where you can comment. And uh, don't be surprised if I tell you I think you're wrong too. That doesn't mean I don't hear what you have to say. All right, let's get on with some housekeeping today. On number one, make sure you're supporting our advertisers. As I've said before, every advertiser on my site is personally vouched for by me. I'm willing to spend my money with them before I'm willing to put them on the site and recommend them to you. Um, and they go through a review, a review process from the moderators on the forum. And uh, if the moderators say no, they don't get on the site. Today's advertiser of the day, Safe Castle LLC, uh, one of the premier providers of, of uh, preparedness needs uh, in the industry. Lots of great stuff. Check them out. Uh, number two, I want to make sure I keep reminding people, uh, consider joining our, our discussion forum. Go to the survivalpodcast.com, look over on the right side where it says pages, click on forum. 
or if you're in Firefox, you'll see nice little tabs across the top. Firefox is the blo- uh, the um, browser to use on the survivalpodcast.com, by the way, folks. Uh, you'll get better uh, results if you do that. But get into our forum, check it out, and uh, join and become a member and start talking to other people and start learning. There is so much information on that forum. It is absolutely unbelievable. Know that we do have rules. If a moderator ever corrects you, okay, and you really feel slighted, you really think you're being done wrong, let me know. But I, I'm going to tell you that 99 times out of 100, I come down on the side of the moderator because they're just enforcing the rules. And we have an equal rule of law on our forum. Nobody gets any preferential treatment. All right? That's how simple that is. Anyway, please consider joining. Uh, next, Region 6 is having a get-together put together by Shannon Appleby. I'll put a link in today's show notes. Uh, he's got some great speakers lined up. Consider, if you're in the Iowa area, going to that. Uh, next, if you think you get more than 25 cents in value per episode, consider joining the Survival Podcast. Supporting Members Brigade. You'll get exclusive content only available to members. Uh, contribution is $5 a month or $50 a year. And uh, that does work out to actually, if you do the yearly, I figured it out to about 20 cents an episode. That's pretty two dimes for every time I get on the horn with you guys and uh, give you the survival podcast. So that seems reasonable to me. And there's now over $60 in retail value of free giveaways and ebooks and a discount club from a leading supplier uh, available two member support brigade members so your membership will pay for itself in year one um next thing i wanted to uh, let you guys know i had some questions about the feed burner stats little gizmo that says how many feed burner subscribers we have where'd it go uh, it wasn't working right and it was saying that we had like i don't know like 1200 people so um i took it down until they fixed whatever the hell was wrong with it now that it's fixed i put it back up and we're just under 7,000 a today which isn't bad considering i've been gone for over a week and then the last thing in the house clean i wanted to talk about to you today is i was on youtube today and i know somebody posted a video response to my broke down truck video and it was a little slideshow they put together with me telling the grasshopper and the ant story sorry i don't remember the guy's name but it was really cool i liked it i'll link to that video in today's show notes make sure you check it out it is really cool what this guy did with just some still pictures and uh one section of one of my shows so that wraps up the housekeeping let's go and talk about today's subject today's subject i figure what we would do is we would actually talk about all the stuff that's going on with the economy and and the government and everything like that since i've been gone for over a week and i really haven't paid attention i needed to get caught back up to what's going on i had my little news fast and it was good for me uh, but let's c- take a look at what's going on right now, the hot stories of the day, which is not Michael Jackson. I really don't care about that at all. I think that's being way overblown, as usual, to distract us from the things that are actually important, like our economy still continuing to flush itself down the toilet and uh, our ass-clown president running around doing more ass-clown antics, which I'll talk about in a minute. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And what I've got are, what do I got here, my line? One, two, three, four, five uh, events that are going on right now, and uh, I'm going to give you my thoughts on how they affect us and, you know, how they impact us as preppers, survivalists, self-sufficiency buffs, whatever you want to call yourself, right? It's not just survivalism. It's whatever it means to you to be self-sufficient and independent. And uh, the first one, this is something I called about six months ago. This is one of these things I know I'm going to be right about. I know that this is going to happen when I say it. 
I didn't say it'll be in six months, it'll be in one year, it'll be in three months or less, or any of the other nonsense that the supposed experts say that prove that they don't know what the hell they're talking about because the timelines never line up. But I could see the dominoes in place, and I could say, this is going to happen. And I probably could have said in under a year with this one because it just had to. And it is that California is now officially broke, um, as though they weren't already broke for the past six months, but now they're officially broke. Um, they can't close a 26 or $23 billion or something like it, more than $20 billion gap in the budget. Billion with a B. Right, just for folks that maybe don't ever think about it this way, because we hear all these big numbers, a billion is a thousand million. So they are twenty billion plus in the hole, which is twenty thousand million dollars in the hole. To keep it in perspective, and uh, the legislature can't figure out how to close the gap. And basically, this is not like in '92 this happened before, but it was a stalemate. You know, it was the governor fighting the legislature trying to to get the new budget approved, and that's going on here. But the reality is, until they figure out what to do about this, they don't have the money. It's not there. So, what is California doing now? Exactly what I said they would do. They're sending out to people that they owe money instead of money. IOUs. Right? They're sending them an IOU. This is a powder keg, and if they don't figure out what to do about it really soon, which is going to be massive cuts to the state budget. Massive cuts. It's the only way out at this point, and none of the people out there seem willing to do it, that actually have the authority to do it and make it happen. It will continue to snowball, and it will get worse and worse and worse. So who's not getting money? Who's getting IOUs? Um, if you're a contractor to the state of California, um, if you are a business that provides services to the state of California, you're getting IOUs right now instead of checks. They're going to send out $3 billion worth of these little paper things that promise to pay October 1, and they're giving you 3% interest on something that they may never able to be, be able to actually make good on. Um, so, so that's... You know, one segment. Um, another segment, and this is where it starts to get dangerous. They are sending IOUs to local governments that they provide a portion of social services for. So let's say you're the city of Los Angeles and you have all these, you know, welfare recipients and, you know, homeless shelters and all these different social services that you provide. Well, you don't spend all the money as the city of Los Angeles to do that. The state of California sends you money to help fund those initiatives. So they're jointly funded by local and state governments. Well, the state portion... The state portion is now an IOU. All right? Now, here's where it gets interesting. A lot of the people that are getting these IOUs are taking them to the banks. And they're saying, this is just as good as money. Give me money, I'll give you my IOU, and you get the money from California, plus 3.5% interest, or 3.25% interest. And the banks are saying, um, yeah, we are not too sure about this. Um, we're not sure that California is going to be able to pay this money, and then we have to float money, and we're already cash short for, you know, July, August, September, October, so we have to float the money for three and a half months, and then we have to hope that the state actually makes good on it, and right now they're $29 billion or $23 billion in the hole, whatever it is, but they don't seem to have any way that they're going to make good on this money, 
And, and what you have to do is you have to read the Associated Press article that I'm going to link to from the show notes to hear how evil they're making the banks out to be. For The banks got all these bailouts. They should help out too now. Well, folks, what got the banks into trouble was the government forcing them to give money to people that they should have never given it to. All these mortgages and all these programs the government insisted upon because poor people had to be able to buy a mansion too. So what the banks are saying now is the last time you guys made us give money to somebody that we really didn't think we should do it to, it bit us in the ass. Now, um, you're asking us to do it again with a state who we view as a corporate customer, and we're, we're not comfortable with this. So now what's happening is some of the banks are saying, well, here's what we might do. We might, if Joe has like $10,000 in state IOUs, he can come to our bank and give them to us, and we'll issue him a loan for $10,000 against the IOUs, but his name goes on the loan, and if the state defaults, it defaults down to him, and he's got to come up with the ten grand. Oh, that'll be great for the state's economy if we don't solve this problem by October 1st, which I don't see happening. So this whole thing is a powder keg and a half. It, it, it is either going to be solved soon or it's going to blow sky high. And I don't blame the banks for one inch, inch, you know, for one second for not taking this paper script bullshit fake monopoly money as legitimate currency. It's not legitimate currency. So now there's like secondary markets where like vultures are going, hey, you got like $4,000 worth of those IOU scripts? I'll give you a grand for it. And the guy's willing to bet his thousand that it'll turn into 4000 on October 1. So that thing is starting to get set up already. Anyway, all we, all we see out there is misery, misery, misery in the, the, the state's uh, economy and the state's government. Now here's why we need to watch this. California, if people like Barack Obama and, for, to be fair, John McCain are right, if all this big government, big tax, big spending, if all of this stuff... Tax the hell out of the rich, tax the hell out of business, enforce climate change, do all this stuff. If that works, California should be freaking utopia right now. It should be the shining city on a hill. It should be, everybody should be, we want to be like California. California is in worse shape than any other state in the union. And they're doing more government and more programs and more taxes and more controls and more regulation and more screwing over of their pocket. And they even screw companies that aren't in California. If you live outside of California, your business is outside of California, and you send somebody to work in California, you have to pay taxes on the income you earn from their labor while they're in the state of California. That's how tax greedy California is, and they're in the biggest trouble of any state out there, and that's where our federal government is headed. So why, if we continue this course with the federal government, would we expect anything better for the United States of America than what California has right now? Billions of dollars in debt, no way to pay it off, and a crumbling economy. And businesses fleeing left and right from California. They're going to places like South Dakota. They're coming here to Texas. They're going to Nevada. Okay, they're even going to Utah. They're going anywhere where there's less oppression from government and more ability to actually grow their business and succeed and be successful. So I think I beat that one up enough. Let's go on to the next one. But, guys, keep an eye on this. And those of you that live in Cali, pay attention to this one. This is the thing that eventually, if welfare recipients start getting IOUs and the banks won't cash them, 
This is the type of thing that can start riots. And we've all seen riots in California before. Next one, I won't stay on this one as long, but Peter Schiff is saying, buy gold. In fact, he's saying more than buy gold. He's saying buy mining stocks of companies that mine gold. Um, especially companies that are already producing gold instead of the ones that are doing kind of the exploration thing. I'll give you some of his reasoning, and I'll give you some of why I'm not completely sold on it, but I'm not unsold either. Uh, what Schiff's saying is that eventually this catastrophe that all the nations have created with this fiat currency is, is coming to a head. And we're going to have to put gold behind the currencies again. It's going to have to happen. And that's going to create a massive increased demand for gold. And that, of course, is going to raise the price of gold. And it's going to devalue all the fiat currencies that don't go with the gold standard. So you better be in gold. He's also said that a lot of the stocks in gold mining companies, and again, the ones that are actually already mining gold, they actually have existing mines that are churning gold out, um, are still devalued from the stock market crash. In other words, gold is more expensive than 2007. The company's just as profitable as it was in 2007. Gold is more desirable than it was in 2007, but the company's stock is lower than it was in 2007. So those are companies he's saying the target. Now, here's my caution with this stuff with gold. I always am cautious when the subject of gold comes up. Here's one thing about gold. You can't eat gold. It can't be eaten. I do think gold will always be worth something, but it's also quite volatile. It has the, the, the same potential to go down drastically as it does to go up drastically in price. There's a lot of shell game going on still with places like the Federal Reserve and every other nation's fiat currency. Okay, So what that means is that there is still tremendous potential to manipulate the price of gold down. Now remember, my number, and again, this is my number, you do what you want, but this is my number that I, you know, as close to a recommendation as I can make, because I'm not a financial advisor here. But my number is 10 to 15% of savings and retirement in gold and or silver. Okay? 10 to 15%. So if you're holding $50,000 in your IRA, I think you should put five of it into gold. So that's like 10% of your income. It's 10% of whatever you've saved. And if you're just starting out with savings and you only have a thousand bucks, you know, you can go out and buy a hundred dollars worth of silver eagles at the coin shop. Or you can wait till you have maybe five thousand and it makes more sense to put about five hundred in and buy a half ounce of gold or whatever it's going for at that time. You make your own decisions on that. But I'm saying at some point, as you start to have something to actually lose, take ten to fifteen percent of it and insure against the loss. If you will. So that's my belief. So I wanted to say that first so nobody thinks that I'm like, you know, peeing all over gold or something here and saying it's a bad investment. I'm just saying that I think that, and I'll put the, the link to the Schiff article out there for you to read so you can get his full side of the story and you make your decision between the both of us. But I do see some holes in history. One is that billions of people all over the world are going to realize paper is worthless and want gold. And there's so many people right now that don't own a speck of gold that are going to want it, they're going to go out and buy it, and that's going to increase global demand for gold gold. Well, that assumes they have money they, they can get gold with. Okay, that's, that's one of the little holes I see, because if we have a global economic recession, right, then people don't have money and they're more worried about buying something they can eat or paying an electric bill than saving money in any form, be it paper or gold. 
Alright? Most of the wealthy people already own gold. They own some portion of gold. Now, they buy, might, might buy more. There might be more of that gold haven type thing going on. But I don't see, you know, a billion people in India. I don't see half a billion of those Indians running out and buying five ounces of gold and putting it in a jar under their bed to safeguard their wealth. I don't see them with enough of the rubies to, to do that. Alright? So, just, I, I don't, Go overboard with the gold buying, but do listen to Schiff because he does know what he's talking about. And I would say that if you're going to invest in gold, uh, uh, you find a good, solid, profitable company that's mining gold in existing structures where they already know there's gold down there. They already have forecasted mine amounts. They have a good, solid, stable financial track record. And you want to buy that stock, I would say that can be over and above the 10 to 15% that you might have in physical metal. That's an investment, a stock vehicle. And that might be a good idea. But Schiff is forecasting the economy to continue to decline, basically, for the next 5 to 10 years at least. Schiff's saying it is the Great Depression. Nobody's accepted that yet. Well, the people that are hyping it are hyping it for the wrong reasons. They don't really know what they're talking about. We haven't even seen it yet. It hasn't even started yet. It's coming, and it's going to be really bad. Put your money in gold now. You do what you want with that information, but remember, I'm just telling you, be careful. Don't. I, I just don't want somebody that listens to this show to be sitting on $100,000 in a retirement fund or a bank account or anything and run out and convert it 100% to gold, and then gold drops by $300 an ounce next year because of some kind of shenanigans, and then you're blaming me for it. I've always said, whatever you have... Diversify your investments. And I don't mean by buying five really good mutual funds. Because you've not really diversified them. Because all your money is in stocks. Right? And it's all in mutual funds. And it's all in paper. So diversification to me means paying big time on the equity against your home. So you pay your home off in 10 years instead of 30. Or less even. Right? It invites buying really good quality vehicles, despite the fact that mine just broke down. And having instead of you know two vehicles to have, screw it, have three. But paid for it, cash. A good boat. A good ATV, a good motorcycle. These things are investments as far as I'm concerned. If they're well-maintained, high-quality, the best that you can afford. Gardens. Commodities. Stored food. Yes, gold, silver, money, CDs. But if you spread your wealth across that spectrum, instead of putting it all in one little hole, you reduce your risk. That's what Schiff's saying here. I just know that a lot of people will read this, and I know it's going to be on a million blogs tomorrow that try to sell gold from overpriced companies saying, put all your money in gold. Peter Schiff says so. That's not what he's saying. I wanted to give you a bit of commentary on it. Okay, now here's the next thing. Want some good news? The International Monetary Fund says the recession globally will end this year. It's over. Not yet, but it will by the end of the year. By the end of 2009, we will officially be in recovery. The U.S. economy will decline two-tenths of a percent less than they originally projected. Um, we will have a .08, a little bit less than 1% growth rate next year as the global recovery begins. And we'll be on our way back to good times. 
Right? I don't necessarily disagree with that. I just think that you're about to see the largest suckers rally in history in 2010 and in 2000, maybe even into 2011. I think you're about to see the biggest bubble ever created. What you have to remember is that the stimulus money that we've all been bitching about being spent hasn't really been spent yet. I'm not talking about the $700 billion that Bush gave to the banking system. Okay, I'm talking about the you know, $800 billion, call it a trillion, with interest that Obama got passed that's supposed to create jobs, jobs, jobs. Remember, jobs, jobs, jobs. It's created about 150,000 jobs while we've lost millions of jobs at the same time. So it's created jack diddly crap. But they haven't spent anywhere near 10% of that money yet. I don't know what they're waiting for. Actually, I think I do. They know if they spend it now, it's going to create the bubble cycle. And the bubble might be breaking, oh, I don't know, right around re-election time for Prince Barack, the ass clown. Okay? Now, if this is a new show for you, you may not realize that I think George Bush is an ass clown too. All right? And that Bill Clinton was an ass clown and George Sr. was an ass clown. They're all ass clowns together. Okay? So don't think I'm just slamming on Barack. I don't like what our government's been doing for 20 plus years. Please understand that. Because I do not want to come off as, you know, promoting one side, but I don't want to promote either one of them. But. I do believe that here's what's what's going to happen is that they're going to open the floodgates on this money right about the end of 2009, right in conjunction with this global recession ending according to the IMF, right? And then they're going to really flood it in 2010. And there'll even be some left to flood in in 2011. And that'll put us right into the election cycle, and it will create a bubble. Now, here's what you have to understand. There's two primary schools of economic thought out there today, Austrian and Keynesian. To make it short and sweet, Keynesians believe that if the government just prints and spends enough money, it doesn't matter what the hell they spend, they can spend it on freaking cockroach spray. That it'll go into the economy and it'll revive the economy, it'll fix the economy. There's no problem too big for more spending not to fix. Austrian economists, uh, economists believe that that's the exact wrong thing to do and that that will always cause uh, a decline in the economy through inflation by devaluing the currency. Both are right. I know some of you guys that are Austrian economists out there, big-time libertarians, might think I've just flipped my lid when I say that. Both are right, but duration is the key. When the government dumps $700 billion into our economy through programs and incentives and everything else like that, it will create a rebound in the economy. It absolutely has to. The problem is it's a completely unsustainable rebound. It can't continue because it's based on nothing. There's no Because the government is the source of the money. There's no production. Now, what the Keynesian says is once the money is there, people start working, people start spending, then the money starts to flow around in a big cycle, and then producers begin to produce commodities and services and goods and sell it into the economy that's been you know, resurrected by all the government money. Well, the government spending money out the ass for the last 20 years. We're still in this mess. So how can the Keynesian be right and wrong at the same time? It's duration. You put the money in, you get a bubble. Bush did it. 
He did it with the real estate market. That's what most people don't realize. All that boom that we had toward the end, right up until the crash, you know, 2005, 6, and 7, great years for your portfolio, it was all fueled by a big, giant real estate bubble. And that real estate bubble was fueled because the government decided everybody should have a house. More minorities needed a house. More poor people needed a house. If a bank didn't give loans to poor people, we were going to punish them. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they were already giving loans to people that shouldn't get loans, should give even more. More loans to more people that shouldn't get, and all of this pushed money in the real estate market. People started selling houses. People started this. This started the whole shenanigans going, and then pop at the end of it because it wasn't real, and the people getting the money and using it to purchase real property couldn't pay for it, and eventually it had to fall apart. That's exactly what you're going to see here. That's why I'm telling you to be, I, I am relatively optimistic about economic performance in 2010 and 2011. I am abysmally uh, not optimistic about where we're headed into like 2012, 2013, 2014. I think that's this precipice that we're going to go over that may be the biggest economic disaster in history. That's just my instinct. There's a lot of really smart guys saying it's already here. That recovery's not coming. It ain't going to happen. We'll see who's right over time. I would say be prepared for either. So don't bet all your chickens on Jack's prediction, and don't you know bet all your chickens on Peter Schiff and, and Gerald Salenti's predictions either. Think for yourself. But this is just how I see this going on now. Here's the big bugaboo. This is why I put this story in here in the first place. So the IMF says the recession's going to end. Said it this week. Recession will end in 2009. Let's start the ban. Let's party. Well, I think it was May. It was either April or May. They said absolutely the recession will not end in 2009. So when were they right? Are they right now or were they right then? What has changed? We have greater job losses, more unemployment, more states defaulting on their own debts to their own people. We have more of everything that caused the recession. The real estate market is still on its back and still in decline. Right? You know, they're saying, well, more houses were built or more houses were bought this month than last month, but compare it to a year ago. It's just down the toilet. So I don't know why they're changing their position. You read both articles and make up your mind for yourself, but... All I'm saying is the worst isn't over yet, but I do think we're going to see this bubble. And and the reason I, I, I emphasize this bubble is if I end up being right, I don't want you to go back to sleep. I don't want you to go, oh, look, everything's sunny now. Let's go be grasshoppers again. And I don't want you to all of a sudden just throw all your money in the stock market again and wait to get back what you've lost. I want you to continue to think about diversifying your assets and your investments. I want you to realize that the inflation cycle that you're going to see, or I think you're going to see to be more accurate, is going to be temporary. And that even if you play the market, if you say, okay, I'm going to take some portion of my money, and since I see it coming and it looks like it is going to be this this, uh, recovery, and we're going to see... Everything climb back up. I want you to be very alert. I don't want you to just put it in there and forget about it. To watch for the signs of the eventual other side of it and the pop. And I want you, as soon as you think it's coming, go ahead and pull out. Take your profits. All right, so let's go on to something completely different. I said I would tell you what our ass clown's doing. 
our present ass clown, our new elite elected ass clown, is over in Italy at the G8 and G5 summits. And while all this stuff's going on, California's bankrupt, Michael Jackson died, oh my God, you know, uh, Schiff's saying we should buy gold, the IMF says the recession could end, but it might not, and we have all these problems, unemployment continues to grow, what are we worried about? What's the summit really about? Global climate change. And I want you all to be happy. I want you all to sit down in the lotus position and start singing Kumbaya right now because the ass clown has saved us all. Under his leadership, the G8 and G5 have agreed to set a target, very aggressive target, to reduce the effects of man-made global warming by 2050 by only 2 degrees centigrade. And that will save us all. Now remember... Remember, just a few years ago, we were being told that if it went up 2 degrees centigrade, it would be a disaster. It would be a disaster forever. It would be, the New York City is going to go underwater, which we found out would be like, you know, like one inch water rise. It was not really even possible for it to happen. And even with a 4 degree rise centigrade, the New York City wasn't going to go underwater. Um, but now 2 degrees is acceptable, and it's going to take massive investments. And it's going to take massive amounts of money. It's going to take massive cuts. We're going to have to cut our carbon emissions in America by 50%. Actually, 80%. Us and all the other G8 nations, 80% carbon cutting. That's what we need to do. And that will help the world cut its carbon by 50% by 2050. And then we'll only go up 2 degrees centigrade. Folks, you cannot believe this nonsense. You cannot buy into this voodoo BS. And why can't you buy into it? Well, because of a little report that I found published by the UK Telegraph. And uh, for some reason, when you go to the original story, it's like the only article on telegraph.co.uk that doesn't work. The page just stays blank. I smell a conspiracy. They're out there trying to suppress this information. So I did a news search for some pieces of RC. Did anybody syndicate it? I couldn't find anybody syndicating it in the news. I almost gave up on finding the original source article. And then I thought, ah... My lovely spamming bloggers that cut and paste other people's material and put it on their blog, and just that's their blog. It's just constantly cutting and pasting other people's work. Uh, never any input of their own. There has to be somebody that did that. So I took a, an exact quote from it and searched the blog search on Google, found tons of bloggers that syndicated this. So the bloggers had become my salvation in finding the true story. Well, the true story is that right now, this year, there's a coming food shortage. It's attributable to climate change. Uh, grain alone will be short by 15% this year. A 15% global shortfall of grains. 15%. And it's climate change that's going to cause it. This is not maybe. This is everybody's looking at it going, yep, that's going to happen. I even agree with it. They're going, Jack, oh my God, you've converted. You believe in climate change. Well, I've always believed in climate change. It's called the cyclical cycle of planet Earth. Temperatures go up and down. But here's the interesting thing. The type of climate change that's threatening crops, crops all around the world in 2009 has not one thing to do with temperatures going up anywhere in the world. It has to do with conditions being colder 
and wetter than normal. It's causing things like in Ohio, and it's not even in this article, I picked this up somewhere else. In Ohio, I think it is somewhere up there in that area. They're having massive problems with their tomato and potato crops from a fungus called late blight that just basically destroys tomatoes and potato plants. And I've had problems with early blight this year down here in Texas. Why? It was too cold early in the year and too wet early in the year, and it gave the fungus a foothold. And I may eventually have to, most of my tomato plants, cut them out of the ground and plant something else while I still have a growing season left. That's how bad it's attacked my tomatoes this year. So I can imagine what it's doing to these big fields up in Ohio. There's shortfalls of production in India because of cooler temperatures in Australia, because of cooler temperatures in Europe, because of cooler temperatures. And on top of this, what this article says is the world uh, leaders have admitted the only way we're going to produce enough biofuel to fix the uh, carbon problem, right, that the G8 and G5 guys are working on. And for those who don't know, G8 are the eight leading nations of the world, and the G5 are the five biggest emerging nations, India, China, etc., you know, Brazil, um, you know, where have we heard those names before. So they're all meeting to do this, and... Uh, what they're deciding is, or I'm sorry, I digress. What they said in this article is that these world leaders have decided that, yeah, the only way we're ever going to produce enough grain for biofuel is for basically all the farmland in Europe to stop producing food and start producing grains for ethanol. How moronic is this? Now, back to the G5, G8, what they're saying is going to have to be a massive redistribution of wealth. It's the, it's the word used. In the article, from the industrialized nations to the non-industrialized nations, so that as they develop, they don't become part of the problem. Now, I've been saying this ever since the first time I uttered the words, global warming on this show. This whole thing is nothing, 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 but a conspiracy, if you want to call it that, to allow a global taxation. And the minute you have global taxation, you have global government. No back to back room. Okay. No Illuminati. No, it's the 33rd degree to Masons, or no, it's the aliens from outer space, and you don't need a tinfoil hat. The only thing that gives a government power is its ability to tax. And whatever region that government controls taxation from, it controls as its government. Plain and simple, because it empowers those that are ruling to use tools to control the population and to make them do what they want and to enforce their will, enforce their laws. Without taxes, that all goes away. You couldn't have a government. Make sense? So the minute you create a tax on a global scale, you have a global government. Because whoever controls that money, Al Gore and his buddies, will control the world. Now, not just, you know, like, pinky in the brain. We're going to dig over the world. None of this maniacal nonsense. These people actually believe in what they're doing. They think they're doing the right thing. They think that you're too stupid to help yourself. But I'll tell you this. They know global warming's a lie. There's too much information now. And what they're saying is, oh, now it's climate change. It's not, remember that happened about a year ago? Oh, it's climate change. It's not global warming. just saw an article in Grit Magazine, a commentary. A guy wrote in and talked about this very thing. I read it while I was on vacation. And he said, hey, I'll believe, you know, the Weather Channel and, and, and you know, uh, National Geographic that are telling me that there's crop shortages this year. 
because it's too cool. And the response from Grit Magazine, and God, you know, why do all these magazines that are actually good have to believe in this global warming bullshit? Was, well, you know, maybe climate change is a better term, and things aren't the same everywhere. Readers, how is your weather? And I almost threw the magazine out when I read that. See, here's the thing. You can't say that more CO2 in the atmosphere has a greenhouse effect and raises global climate temperatures. And then turn around and say, oh, but right now it's actually causing the temperatures to decline. It either does one or the other. It doesn't do both. And you can't show all these graphs of every time carbon went up in the earth, the temperature went up, and then show carbon going up and the temperature going down and go, oh, ignore that. Not unless people want to be sheep. There I said it again, the sheeple. So what do we do about all this? Like I always say, you do the same thing that I always tell you to do. Be prepared. Diversify your investments. Diversify your wealth. Do everything you can to ensure the safety and security of yourself and your family. Create as much independence for yourself as you can. Don't buy into hype and bullshit. Do not believe everything the TV tells you. Question everybody, even me. But by all above all else, create as much self-sufficiency for yourself as you can. That is your key to survival. I'm telling you, folks, it's time to stop. I bought that, that little pop-up greenhouse last year. One storm killed it. It's time for me to build a solid hardwood, plastic, glass, whatever greenhouse. Something that will not blow down in a windstorm and it's going to be bigger and have greater production capacity. I've got to do that because this year's taught me that even with what looks like relatively good growing conditions, lots of rain, not ex- no excessive heat until now, um, you know, hail. No giant windstorms this year, no tornadoes, didn't have anything blowing my plants down. Still, just a little bit of a climate change, yes, has destroyed one of my main vegetable uh, productions. And if I had uh, greenhouses, I could have avoided that to a large degree with some hothouse versions of tomatoes and created that diversity for myself there. So I've learned that lesson. I'm challenging you to learn that lesson, too. I'm challenging you to put as much diversity in your self-sufficiency as possible today. When, you know, I got back from Arkansas yesterday, and I went out to the garden. I picked a whole pile of cucumbers. I picked jalapeno peppers. I picked um, uh, yard-long beans. I picked a whole bunch of stuff. There's a picture in the forum. Maybe I'll link to that, too, today. And uh, it didn't matter that my tomatoes didn't produce, so they have enough diversity out there. But I'm telling you, that's the things that we're going to need to go forward. There are going to be food shortages, one way or another. I don't know if it will be this year or next year for you. It might not be for four or five years. But our global demand is exceeding global production capacity. And our politicians are hell-bent on taking more and more of our production capacity and making moonshine with it and putting it in our cars and destroying our motors and our engines uh, because it's corrosive. That's where we're headed. But you don't have to accept it. There are things that you can do, and I challenge you every day, do just a little bit more. And if six months from now, a year from now, you'll look back and you won't believe how far you've come. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler. Doesn't matter Cause it all gets spent